0: So, tonight's second Bible reading is from John chapter 11, verse 38 to 44. And is found on page 1125 on most Pew Bibles. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, By this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. Then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you have always heard me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he said this, when, when he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, "Lazarus, come out!" The dead man, the dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen, and a coat around, and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, "Take off the grave clothes and let him go." This is the word of the Lord.
1: Well, good evening, friends. The Lord is risen. He's risen indeed. That is the tradition, that is what we say on Easter Sunday because we're remembering that the Lord is risen. Let's try it again. The Lord is risen. He is. is. And this will be a tradition. It will go on for 100 years because we've done it twice. That's that's all it takes to be a tradition. Uh, But friends, tonight we're going to be looking at this passage. So so do keep your Bibles open if you are visiting us new here. Um, That will help you follow along. So I'll just work through this passage, this story, and and work out what the implications are for us today. But as we come to this passage, let's, let's pray and ask that God might help us understand it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this passage, this record of what Jesus did. Um, we pray, Lord, that you might help us to see what this means for us today, that Jesus did raise the dead and that he himself was raised as well. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, have you ever wondered... How important hope is. How important hope is. It, it, in fact, it's something that we all do as humans naturally. We do this and we hope all the time, don't we? We hope all the time. At the, um, at the moment, the things that I'm hoping for, I'm hoping that our three kids who are away this weekend with their grandparents, I'm hoping that they'll be all well behaved at this time that they'll be treating their grandparents with respect. That's what I'm hoping for. I'm hoping that they're not driving their grandparents crazy, driving their nuts. That's what I'm hoping for. I'm hoping they're not not eating too much chocolate eggs, and I'm hoping perhaps they might be doing some algebra and doing some calculus and perhaps listening to some classical music and perhaps writing writing a poem to their parents even. I'm hoping. I'm hoping and I'm also hoping that perhaps at this time that they're getting ready for bed. But you see, I'm hoping, but all that is, is hopeless. I suspect <laughs> none of the, those things will be happening. They don't know calculus, they don't know algebra. At, at tonight, I'm, I'm also hoping that on the way home tonight, when I, I walk to the church and I plan to walk back, that I won't be mugged by some crazy madman. You, know, you don't know what to expect in a suburb like Surrey Hills. And I'm hoping that the older I get, I am feeling older, I'm not as young as I used to be, you can always say that, right? I'm getting older, but I'm hoping the older I get, the stronger I get, the more wise I get, the more intelligent I get, and the more handsome I get in Yvonne's eyes. And she's thinking, you're hopeless there. (laughs) And I suspect you will have your own hopes as well, don't you? You'll have your own hope. You see, hope is what we naturally do. Hope pulls us forward toward that goal or that prize. And so we work hard towards that goal. We're hoping for that comfortable life. Or hope is what sustains us in this life. Even when things go crazy in life, hope is what keeps us going, keeps us persevering. And hope is also what motivates us to persevere, even through suffering hoping that it will all be okay in the end. You see, hope is this important part of human life that we naturally do. But of course, there are things in life that we hope for that are just hopeless. Things in life that we hope for that are just impossible. I mean, don't you ever hope that this era of war and terrorism will just end? Do you ever hope that that would happen? Or do you ever hope that world poverty would just cease? Don't you hope for that? Or would you hope that the environment would just stop deteriorating? That the diseases, all the diseases of the world would be cured? That that, that world peace would be established? Do you hope for those things? But you see, hope for those things is hopeless. Hoping for those things are Hopeless. We live in a world that is broken, damaged, ruined. Hope all you like. It will not happen. It will not happen. You see, there are some hopes, no matter how sincere we are in hoping for that thing, no matter how how earnest we are at hoping for that thing, it's just impossible. There are realistic hopes. There are unrealistic, impossible hopes. Hope all you like. It's not going to happen. Now remember having such a hope an impossible hope. I remember as a younger man in the 90s, a younger man, there was this incident this year. It was a tragic year for our family. One Sunday afternoon we heard that my uncle who was about my age now, back in the 90s, he he was involved in this tragic accident at sea, drowned at sea and the family, we were heartbroken. It was distressing, distraughting. We were all angry with death, that it would rob us of of my uncle. But you see, as a younger man, I was hoping. I was still hoping and I still remember at the funeral, I was hoping that somehow, even though it was impossible, I hoped that he would come back again. I hoped that he would come back again. But you see, hope all you like. That's not going to happen. Hope all you like. That's impossible. That can never happen. You're just dreaming. You see, that's what I felt back then. And as we consider this passage, that was the situation of these two sisters. In our passage, Mary and Martha, they were hoping for the impossible. Their brother Lazarus has just died. But somehow they're hoping, just hoping, that he might come back. You see, they knew what Jesus was capable of. They've been with Jesus, seen him um, give the blind sight The deaf hearing, the mute speaking, the lame walking, the leper cleansed, they've seen what Jesus has done. Maybe, maybe now, maybe in this situation, Jesus can do something still. But by the time Jesus arrived, what do we read? Have a look at verse 17. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Lazarus was already dead for four days. That's meant to tell us quite clearly, blatantly, he was really dead. You're really dead if you've been in the tomb for four days. Now this week I thought I'd do a bit of research. What happens to a human body after being dead for four days? And so I asked our own in-house cardiologist. I thought being a doctor, you'll know about dead bodies and you'll know about these things. So I asked our in-house from our church, a cardiologist, I thought he knew. Well, what he did was he searched Google and told me. (laughs) And so what he told me was from zero to three days, the initial decaying process, this is what happens. The body might look fresh on the outside, but inside things were decomposing. The bacteria in the intestines that are normally there already, they start eating the stuff in the intestines and then they start eating the intestines itself and they start eating all the other organs in the body. And then at the same time, the enzymes in the body, they leak out and they digest the body. This is from zero to three days. And then more than that, the death flies, they come. They lay their eggs in any opening they find, in the eyes, the ears, the mouth, and they lay their eggs. And within 24 hours, the maggots would come out. The eggs would hatch, maggots would come out, and will start eating at the body. That's from zero to three days. This is what this doctor told me, so it must be right. He found it from Google. And then from day four, the process continues. As the bacteria starts breaking down the body, the tissues and the cells, it produces this gas, lots of gas. And these gases are meant to stink, really, really stink. And then more flies come because they like the smell, more maggots, more beetles, more mites, and it becomes a nice, warm place for these maggots to breed, to grow. I mean... How tasty is that? This doctor told me so. Anyway, when Jesus arrived, Lazarus, his body has been decaying for four days. But the sisters here, they were still hoping, hopeful. Martha goes to Jesus, look at what she says, verse 21. She says, Lord, if you have been here, my brother would not have died. But now look at what she says. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you want. You see, she was still hopeful. Maybe, maybe, maybe. Maybe now Jesus could do the impossible. He was dead. Maybe Jesus could do something. But now look at what Jesus says and we have to feel the shock of what Jesus says. Verse 23, your brother will rise again. Your brother, who's now been dead for four days, will rise again. I mean, think about being in Martha's shoe. Though you were hoping, you knew that was impossible, but think about being in Martha's shoe. Is this some cruel, sick joke that Jesus was trying to pull? A sick prank he was trying to pull on the people there. Look, your brother's been dead for four days, decaying, but he will rise again. Is this just some sick prank, what Jesus was saying? I mean, we hear about pranks all the time, don't we? Pranks, they're meant to be fun, entertaining, exciting and harmless. The other day we thought we'd do a prank on our own three kids, you know, loving parents. It's Easter and each year during Easter we would organise an Easter egg hunt for them. And every year they just have way too much chocolates. They, they eat so much there's still more left over and they just have too much. But this year Yvonne thought, well why don't we give them real eggs? And so Yvonne went to some Asian grocery and she got this, real eggs. Any guesses what that might be? Hundred Century eggs, no. These are real eggs and they're raw, they're fresh. They're quail eggs, little tiny quail eggs, the size of your chocolate eggs, the little ones. And so we thought this is what we do. And so Yvonne, she got some chicken eggs, the bigger ones, and these quail eggs, she dyed it and that's what they look like. And so on Friday, I put them around our garden and uh, our, our street, just outside our street, and they just were a nice prank on the kids. They're thinking they're going to get chocolate, but they're getting real eggs. How about that? But we somehow, Yvonne somehow warned them beforehand, so they knew that that was what they would expect. There was one real chocolate egg for each one of them, and that was it. But anyway, that was a nice prank. Nice little prank we did on our kids. It was harmless. But what Jesus says in this passage, it's cruel, it's sick to promise such a thing. What do you mean, Jesus, this dead man will rise again? I mean, try putting your hope in such a statement. Try putting your hope in such a promise. What do you mean he'll rise again? I mean, if nothing comes of it, your hope will be shattered. And if nothing comes of it, Jesus will be left being a fraud a liar, a charlatan, a sick prankster. But now here, Martha, she responds. She responds, yes, of course. There's the resurrection day, the great last day when all bodies will be raised in judgment. But she wasn't thinking that individuals could rise before that last and great day. She didn't think that that was a possibility at all. It was not part of her belief system. And so she says in verse 24, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. She was hopeful, but she had no idea that anything could happen before that. Anything happened before that would have been an impossibility. But now in this story, Jesus perceiving that she did not really catch on. What Jesus does now is quite fascinating, quite profound. He diverts Martha's focus on this abstract, vague, resurrection of the last day and diverts that attention to a personalised belief in a person. Don't think about the resurrection of the last day, think about a person. And Jesus was saying to her, that person is me. You want to know about resurrection life? You want to know about life after death? You want to know about life beyond the grave? You want to know about eternal life? You want to know about heaven? Then you need to know about me. In fact, he says more than that, you need to believe me. There is no resurrection life outside of me. There is no life beyond the grave outside of me. You need to believe me. So, verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live, even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Now, again, If we're thinking from Martha's shoes, is this again some sick prank that Jesus was still trying to pull? Believe in me? Believe in a person and someone will come back to life? It's a bit like, you know, instead of boiling, we did boil those quail eggs and chicken eggs. But it will be like making it a, a sick prank, that is keeping it raw so that, so that they will break away from the place. And in fact, let's make it worse. Let's make them um, with, do the Easter hunts with rotten eggs. That would be far worse, wouldn't it? That would be a sick prank. That would not be funny for the kids. In fact, about eight years ago, someone pulled such a prank on us and it wasn't funny. It wasn't funny. At this stage, eight years ago, we had only Esther. She was about one years old, still in a high chair at the restaurant, and she was our first and only child at that time, so we were very, very precious about her. First child, very precious, overly protective, a bit strange, but overly protective. Anyway, after we ordered our meals, the waitress brought out an egg as well, in an egg holder and gave it to Esther. And we thought, what a nice restaurant, what a nice place, what a lovely waitress. Being so nice and kind to our little girl. But as soon as she grabbed it, it cracked and it was raw egg and it's flat all over her face. And to make matters worse, we did not know before that that she was allergic to egg. And so her face started to flare up. And so we rushed her straight away to the hospital. We were not very happy customers. We never returned to that restaurant. I, mean, I was furious. That was a prank gone bad. That was a sick prank. But you see, compared to what Jesus was trying to pull here, this was far worse, far more serious. What do you mean? Believing you a person and the dead can come back to life? That is sick. But then what did Martha say? Well, look at verse 27. Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ the Son of God who has come into the world. And so she's saying, yes, yes, I recognise you are the Christ. I believe what you're saying. I believe everything but secretly, deep down, I'm not too sure. But then how can Martha be sure? How can her hope be placed in a person, in Jesus? What must happen? Well, we read on. What happens next? Well, Jesus now goes to the tomb. Look at verse 38. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Now, it's worth noticing here something that is, in fact, lost in translation. Jesus was, in fact, more than deeply moved. It wasn't just emotions of sadness that Jesus was feeling here. No, rather, the word that's used here, it's the same word used for horses snorting. So, it's meant to express a deep sense of outrage and anger that Jesus was feeling as he was approaching the tomb. He was angry and outraged within himself. That's a literary, literary translation. But, but why? It's because what he was seeing before his face was the plight of all humanity as he was approaching the tomb. That death reigned over humanity and causes such grief and havoc and sorrow that death will rob us of our loved ones and cause so much pain that this is the end result of humanity. He was angry within himself. This is the plight of all human beings buried in the tomb. Human rebellion against God has led to this and Jesus did not like death one bit. He was angry within himself far stronger than just feeling a bit of grief and so he comes to the tomb angry within himself and what did he ask? What did he do? To pay his respects to Lazarus? Well no, he said, look at verse 39, take away the stone. Now can you imagine anything more sickening, more disrespectful than that? Imagine that. Imagine being asked that at a grave site. I mean, my uncle, when he passed away, he was buried at the Faulkner Cemetery. If someone was to come four days later and, and to say to me, dig up dig up the grave, dig up, take out the coffin and let me see. I would say, get lost. What could be more disrespectful than that than to the dead? What worse way to disrespect the grieving family than to do that? But that was what Jesus was asking here. The, the fear of the shock of that. That was what Jesus was asking. And more than that, look at verse 39. But Lord Martha said, By this time there is a bad odour, for he has been there four days. You see, by this stage, the smell of the rotting body would have been unbearable. Unbearable. Now, I wonder whether you've ever smelt rotten meat. Smelt any rotten meat before? Uh, uh, this past week uh, uh, I don't know whether I had or not and so I asked Yvonne how does rotten meat smell like and so Yvonne in her wisdom she decided to leave some meat rotting away in our sink in a bag and so this afternoon she said to me you want to know what rotten meat smells like well come and take a whiff of this and it was terrible it was bad but that's just a small piece of meat Imagine a whole body with flies and maggots. That is far worse. And so Martha goes to Jesus, are you really sure, Jesus, that you want us to roll away this stone? The body will be stinking in there. But then Jesus goes to Martha, you you don't really understand when you said you believe me, do you? You didn't really know what you were saying. And so verse 40, Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? And so what did they do? Well, verse 41, I'm sure hesitantly, they took away the stone, rolled it away. And then Jesus says, just so you know who I am, just so you know where I come from, just so you know what I can do. Verse 42, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here that they may believe that you sent me. And in verse 43, when he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Now we need to understand something here. You see, this is the same God who spoke the universe into existence. This is the same one who spoke and the stars were flung into the sky, into the universe. This was the same one who spoke and the mountains were raised to its peak. This was the same one who spoke and the rivers gushed down the valleys. This is the same power that brought life into existence. Life to you and life to me. And now this same power speaks these words. Lazarus, come out. And that was exactly what happened. Look at verse 44. The dead man came out his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Now it's been said that the authority and power of Jesus is so great, so glorious, so wonderful, that if he did not specify Lazarus, all the dead from all the tombs would have come out. And so what do we see here in this story, in this account? We see what was impossible... The hope in the impossible was made possible in Jesus. The hope for the impossible was made possible in Jesus. Even the dead can come back to life. Even the dead, the rotting away, can come back. And so in the end, this was no sick prank at all from Jesus, was it? This was the power of the Son of God on display, even in death. But now we we must think that's all good for Lazarus but what does that have to do with me today? That was good for him? I mean he had a second crack at life but he eventually died again. He had a second funeral and his poor sisters had to mourn for him all over again. But you see what Jesus was showing through this account through what he did was a glimpse of why he is in fact the resurrection and the life. You want to know life? You want to have life eternal beyond the grave? Then it's to believe in him. Not some idea, but a person. Jesus Christ, the Son of God. You see, later in the Gospel of John, Jesus himself also died. And he died in the most horrific way. He was flogged and tortured and beaten and mocked and eventually crucified and left to die on a plank of wood. But then what happened on that third day? On the first Easter Sunday, well, after three days, Jesus was raised back to life again. His tomb was empty and remains empty today. But unlike Lazarus, Jesus was raised back to life and remains living. And so the tomb remains empty. Now, why was he raised? And how was that possible? Well, you see, as we've sung before, death could not contain him. Death could not hold on to him. Death could not clench his fists on him because Jesus is the resurrection and life. He is the source of all life. And because one dead man came back to life and remains living, now we know there is such a thing. We know. Because of Jesus, we know there is such a thing as life after death. We know now because of Jesus that there is in fact such a thing as eternal life. Because of Jesus, one man who was dead and now is living, we know that there is such a thing as heaven. You see, in the resurrection of Jesus, Jesus has dealt the death blow to death itself. This is the ultimate hope of all humanity. Death does not get the last word. It has been defeated and if such a thing did take place in human history, you see, if you see that, if you understand that, then you see how that changes everything in life. One man coming back from the dead, that changes everything, not just for him but for us now. You see, life is not just a limited time on earth, however long or short it is. There is more. And you see how this now gives us a whole new perspective on life. It gives us a whole new perspective. It's not just this much. The resurrection gives us the perspective from God's eyes. There is more to life, more to enjoy, more after death. And you see, because of this, it gives us something solid to hope for. It's not just to make us feel good. It's not just sentimental value. This is something solid to hope for. I'm not just merely hoping that things will go well in my life. I can hope for things now beyond the grave, that there is something after the grave. And that's why if you've been to Christian funerals, if you experience Christian funerals and you've experienced funerals that are not Christian, you should notice a difference. In the Christian funeral, there is always that element of, of grief and sadness and sorrow, but also the element of hope. You see, Christians know this who know this do not grieve as those who are hopeless, as those without hope. And you see, if you, if you understand this, that one dead man came back to life again, then that helps us deal with the things that life throws at us the sorrow and suffering and agony and disappointment and depression and sadness and illnesses and diseases and cancers. It actually helps us put all those things into perspective as well. You see, the resurrection throws a whole new light on all of those things. They do not get the last word. Even death does not get the last word. We've experienced death, people around us dying, getting sick. And even recently, just this year, we've come across so many people who had to struggle, had to face death. People around us getting sick, getting diseases, getting cancer. This year alone, there's already quite a number. It's just quite unbelievable. Uh, A lady from my own class at Bible College, we only discovered the other week, that she now has third stage cancer. She's my age. Recently married, wanted to have children. That's out of the question now. It was a surprise and a shock to her and the family. A teenager, another one, we only only heard of the other week as well. He's Discover that, that he's got a tumor, not just in the brain but in the heart as well. A surprise and a shock to the whole family. And another friend earlier this year, his grandson, just an infant, discovered that he's got leukemia. Shock and surprise to everyone. And of course, there's this John Gooding's daughter, cancer. You never expect these things; they just come. But then, when those things happen, what do you hope for? What is it that you really hope for? If they are people you know and love, what do you hope for? Well, my hope for all of those, my prayer for all of those is that God would not only heal them, but my deeper, deeper hope would be that they will continue to cling on to Jesus, to hold on him who promises resurrection life. Cancer is not the last word. Death is not the last word. Hold on to Jesus who promises resurrection life. You see, what Jesus promises is that there is life beyond the grave and this life is glorious. Jesus promises that there will be a place where there will be no more pain and suffering and mourning and crying and death. Isn't that what you want? Isn't that what you hope for? For yourself and those around you. There's an author, he he writes this, Josh McDowell. He He said this, no matter how devastating our struggles, disappointments and troubles are, they are only temporary. No matter what happens to you, no matter the depth of tragedy or pain you face, no matter how death stalks you and your loved ones, the resurrection promise you a future of immeasurable good. Isn't that what you hope for? Well that is what Jesus offers. Isn't that what you hope for yourself and for those around you? You see, a life without the concerns of the world now, without the terrorism and war we spoke of and the poverty and the diseases, isn't that what you hope for? Well, that is what Jesus offers. And so this evening, the same question Jesus asked Martha, he also asked you as well. Do you believe this? Not in some abstract idea, not in some vague idea about the afterlife. Do you believe this? Do you believe in him, the person, Jesus Christ, who conquered death forever? It's the same question asked to Martha, asked to us as well. You see, it will be a, a sickening prank, a terrible joke if I said to you that you can have all of that resurrection life, heaven, eternal bliss. If I said to you, you can have all of that by being a decent person, by being a nice person, by being a moral person, by being a sincere person, by just trying your best. I mean, that would be a cruel joke. If I said that to you, or if anyone said that to you, why? Because that's not what Jesus said. He did not say, be nice, nice and these will be yours. He said, believe in me. Do you believe this? You see, it's a question we all have to answer, but there's only one good answer. One good answer, and that is, yes, I do. Yes, I do, that Jesus died for me in my place for my sins and that he was raised back to life again and one day raised me as well. Do you believe this? The same question for us. The impossible hope now made possible because Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Do you believe this? Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that you do search our hearts and you see this world for what it is. It is a mess and a broken place. But you in your kindness offer us the hope that we all search for and want the hope of resurrection life, the hope of eternal life, of being with you for all eternity without pain or sorrow or death. And we thank you that this is possible because Jesus is indeed the resurrection and the life. And so we pray, Heavenly Father, that you will search our hearts for those of us who do not yet believe. Help us to believe. And for those of us who do already believe, help us to continue day by day to cling on to Jesus because he is the resurrection and the life. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.